Good morning. Uh, it's been a while since I've been up here uh, at this table. I've, I've done the other one a little bit uh, more often. Um, so I'm going to ask you to all just bear with me because uh, there are some nerves working. Um, and hopefully, uh, hopefully once I get into it, uh, the, the nerves will subside and, and uh, I'll be able to get on with this lesson uh, in a fairly smooth manner. Um, now, if, if Darcy knows, if I was up here talking about, uh, about work, about chasms and dairy markdowns, uh, I'd be able to go on for hours about that kind of stuff. You would have no clue what I'm talking about, but I would, I would be really good with the material. Um, I, I hope I'm okay with this material, but uh, again, um, unfortunately, I don't sp I'm not spending 40 hours a week in the Bible uh, like I am at work, and, and it shows, unfortunately. So, so with that, uh, I guess I'll try and get right into the uh, lesson that I prepared. And what I really want to uh, discuss is uh, later on in uh, chapter 5, verses 16 to 27, um, and, and the reading that Corey gave us this morning kind of sets the stage uh, for those verses. Now, as, as Corey read, uh, Jesus has healed a man that has been, uh, and now these are in the words of John the writer and in the NIV translation, uh, an invalid. Now, that's... That's not a term that would be very favorable these days. Uh, that's, that's not something that the world seems to, uh, to want to hear. But, but again, those are the words of the Bible, and that's the way he's described. And, and this, this gentleman is hanging around the pool called Bethesda, uh, which is said to have uh, healing powers. Now, in Corey's translation, uh, it talks about the angels coming down and, and dipping their wings and stirring the water. Uh, in the NIV, it doesn't mention that. It doesn't mention anything about that. So uh, in my notes, I've got that the waters would bubble or get stirred up somehow. And, and the belief was that angels were dipping their wings in the water. And the first person to enter the water uh, would be healed. Now, whether this happened every time, we're not told. But, but again, that was the belief. And, and the man, that uh, the, the invalid... He says that there's no one to help him get into the water. Okay? So this, this was his response after Christ asked him if he would like to get well. Now Jesus can see that he wants to get well and simply says, and again according to the NIV, it says, pick up your mat and walk. Okay, now it doesn't say anything in here about uh, this man whether there was some sort of feeling that came into his body, you know, that, that gave him, you know, the, the confidence, the courage, the idea, or the faith that he could actually just get up and start walking. Uh, as I say, it doesn't say that in here, but I have to think that, that there was something that, that he could feel in his body uh, that made him, you know, get up and walk. Uh, you're all familiar, I'm sure, with the Nike commercials. Uh, you know, just do it, right? And that's, that's what this guy did. He just did what Christ had said. So the man heads off carrying his mat. And, and naturally, the Jews would have been totally amazed and astonished. Uh, they would have celebrated this man's healing. 
uh, you know, they would have come to realize that Jesus is the Christ and that he is the Messiah. Okay, now if your Bible reads that way, I want you to throw it out, okay? Because that's, that's the last thing these guys ever seem to do, okay? What do they do? They chastise the man for carrying his mat on the Sabbath. And they demand to know who told him to do this. And, and we read in verse 11. Let's see if this is working. Here we go. Hey, I can even read that. My, another concern about today is I have trouble reading the small print on the Bible. So I'd either have to flick around with my glasses, but I'm really glad I can read that down there. So, uh, so John 5.11 says, But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. Now, again, the, the Jews are not going, you know, he made you well, right? There's, there's somebody that was actually able to cure you from, this, from your um, disease or from not being able to walk. Um, you know, it, it's right away that they're mad. To me, it, and I'm not sure if you're all familiar with the McDonald's commercial, I used to hear it on the radio lots uh, going to work in the morning. Uh, when they first started coming out with all-day breakfasts, okay? So this, this man and woman are, are talking, and, and the guy asks the lady, she says, so what did you do today? And she goes, well, you know, I, I ran a marathon this morning. I, I won a Nobel Peace Prize. I did this this morning. Uh, I went to McDonald's for an Egg McMuffin at lunch, and, and then I... I did something else in the afternoon. I did all these great things. And, and she gets done, and the guy goes, you had an Egg McMuffin for lunch? Right? No, no concern, not even any question on all of the other great things she did. He, he focused on, and again, it's McDonald's. It's their commercial. They can do that. But he, he focused on the fact that she could have this at lunch. So to me, that's what the, these Jewish leaders are kind of like. They're really focusing on the insignificant part of what's happened here. Now, as, as, we, as Corey kept reading, the man runs into Jesus. Jesus tells him to stop sinning so that worse things do not happen to him. For me, the, the interesting thing that we don't read again is we don't read a thank you from this gentleman, right? We, we don't see... You know, thank you so much for curing me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to really try to live a better life. I really appreciate, you know, this, this opportunity that you've given me. But those, again, if, if those words are in your book, it, it's the wrong one. They're, they're not there, right? And, and I have to hope that he did thank him. But as I say, that's not there. And I have a hunch that while he might have been grateful, what does he do? He goes off and tells the Jews, which I take to be more the, the Jewish leaders, that the man, you know, who this man that cured him was, it was Jesus. He basically throws Jesus under the bus, okay? He, he goes to tell them, Jesus did it. It's not my fault that I'm carrying the mat. Jesus told me that it was okay to do this. So go after him for telling me it was okay. Again, there, I, I don't see a lot of gratitude in his actions towards Jesus. 
So that finally leads us up to verse 16. So as we read in, in John 5, 16 to 18, it says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, as I read these verses, I have to remind myself that we have it a little easier on this side of the cross and because we have this whole story. Okay, we have the Bible in its entirety to help us understand the gospel and God's plan for mankind. I've already kind of teased the, you know, the, the Jewish leaders about their short-sightedness, or, their, or I'll call it their stubbornness, to accept the teachings of Jesus. They liked their legalistic view of God's commandments and could not see why there would be or should be a need to change. They were awaiting a king to rule over a physical kingdom. Now, don't think that I'm condoning their thinking. They were given lots of information. They were given the heads up from the prophets that the Messiah would come. And Jesus was giving them enough proof with the miracles, etc., that he was performing that, yes, they should have listened to his word. Again, his miracles and his teachings were much more powerful than any prophet that had come before him. And as Dale, Dale has said this uh, many times uh, in the past, and, and I'll uh, kind of paraphrase um, what Dale has said, he says, Jesus needed to convince enough people that what he was teaching was the truth so they would continue spreading the gospel after he was gone, and Jesus had to get enough people mad at him that they would kill him. So it's ironic that they were upset with Jesus for calling God his father. As I said, we have the Bible, and we know that Jesus is the Son of God. So yes, it is perfectly all right for Jesus to call God his Father. That's exactly who he was. Whoops. This is the last part of 18. Hey, where's 19. I will thank Russ set this all up for me, so uh, I'll blame him right now, but it was probably my fault. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to go to verse, uh, I'll go to verse 19 now. And Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. Now, I think it's safe to say that at some point, most kids are going to try and act like their parents. Boys will typically act like their fathers, and girls will probably act like their mothers. And there's going to be a time, or there may be a time, when kids unknowingly act like their parents. Now, I will ask for some participation here. 
raise your hand if someone at some point has said to you, oh, that's just like what your father or mother would have said. Nobody? Or, oh, that's just like what your father or mother would have done. Again, I think we're, we're, all, we're all pretty guilty of that. And if you're a kid, um, you probably groaned when somebody said that about you. Gavin, have you groaned when somebody said it's like your dad? Probably. Okay. It's not a bad thing. But, but typically as a kid, we're going to be embarrassed because there's no way that we want to be like our mom or dad. I know my aunt uh, that, uh, that we used to visit often, she used to say to me, she said, you're, you're getting to be just like your father. Now, the, the tone that she said it in was, was probably thinking of it more as a negative. Um, but in my mind, uh, that was a very good compliment. Um, I, th I think that I had a really good role model uh, in my father and in my mother. And it's something that we should all strive to do as parents. We need to be the role model that you want your children to follow. Now, let's not forget, though, that Jesus is the perfect role model, okay? For all of us, and we need to try and live, live like Jesus, keeping in mind that we are never going to live that perfect life in this physical world. But again, Jesus is the ultimate role model. Now back in our scripture, Christ is trying to tell the people uh, that the message he is bringing is not his own words and teachings. But these words and teachings are coming straight from God. Jesus is the messenger. And Jesus reminds the disciples of this again in John 7. Oh, there it is. Sorry. John 7, 16 to 18, where it says, Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak it on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. John 8, 28 to 29. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. John 14, 23 and 24. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Now, to me, as I was preparing this lesson, there must be some significance if John is including this in his book at least these three times. And, and it seems as I, as I continue to study that, that uh, the number three um, seems to be used a lot, where, where it's almost a form of, of perfection or completeness, uh, not like the number seven, but 
again, when, when something's repeated three times, hopefully we're starting to catch on and realize that, yes, uh, this is important. So John is also emphasizing to the Jews that Jesus was not just some guy that had a bunch of neat stories and performed some cool tricks. John is writing uh, his book well after Matthew, Mark, and Luke have written their books. So he has that opportunity to key in maybe on areas that have not been as easily understood from the other writings. This fact is that Jesus was delivering directly to the people the word of God. Now we've also studied lots that the Jews put all of their efforts and emphasis on upholding the Ten Commandments and from there they even created many other rules and regulations that the Jewish leaders would burden with the people. And, and I think the example that we read at the start of chapter 5 is a pretty good one where a person could not even carry a mat on the Sabbath. Now the Jews accepted that the commandments were from God and given to the people through Moses. If we flip later in chapter 5, we read, But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? So again, the Jews put a lot of stock into what Moses had written. And Moses had written about Christ coming. So Jesus tells, Mo, tells them, again, that Moses told you I was coming, and you're not obeying and understanding what he told you. He tells the people that Moses wrote about Christ the Messiah, so now Jesus should be listening to his word. In Luke 24, 27, uh, when uh, Jesus, uh, this is after his resurrection, and he told the two men going to Damascus about the, these prophecies of Christ, uh, in Luke it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So as I mentioned at the start of, of the lesson, there's, there's lots of that proof and evidence that Christ is the Messiah, and, and the Jews should have realized this. Now when I, whenever I read again about these, the two men going to Damascus, uh, it reminds me of a riddle. And now, don't blurt out the answer if you, if you figure it out. And Russ and Ashley and, and Bev, uh, don't give out the answer either. They've heard this riddle before. But, uh, and hopefully you'll continue to pay attention to the lesson and not spend all your time working on the riddle. But, but I'll, I'll give it to you anyways. So, and, and again, this is a riddle that I uh, learned as a kid. It goes... As I was going to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. Each seven wife had seven sacks. Each seven sack had seven cats. Each seven cat had seven kittens. Kittens, cats, sacks, wives. How many were going to St. Ives? I'll give you the answer later. So back to our lesson. Jesus, again, is simply telling them, Moses, who you believed and respect, 
told you I was going to come. And when the Messiah comes, pay attention to what he says. And Christ is also saying, don't, don't get mad at me because you won't listen to Moses, on whom your hopes are set. As we continue on in our, our reading, John 5, 20 to 23, it says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now the Jews, other than the Sanhedrin, Sadducees, pardon me, believe that God can raise the dead. And we see this in Romans 4. It says, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. So John, having spent time with Christ, and again, writing this well after Christ has returned to heaven, knows that Jesus can also raise the dead. And you can read this in chapter 11 when he talks about the resurrection of Lazarus. For Christians, past, present, and future, can understand that this last verse uh, in John is even more than a physical resurrection. But it's a spiritual resurrection when Christ returns, and we will discuss this more in just a minute. We know that the message that Christ brings comes from God, of which there is no greater authority, and now God is giving the power of judgment of everything that has ever been created, physical and spiritual, mankind, angels and demons, over to Christ. Philippians 2. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now to me as we continue on in John, verse 24 uh, is a key verse. It says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. So we've just been told that God has given all authority to Jesus and now Jesus, while still in the flesh, for all to see and hear, tell the people how to gain that gift of life, eternity in heaven, and how to not be condemned to death or an eternity in hell. Now I was trying to think of an example that would help illustrate this point, and kind of this, this following is the best I can come up with. Now, now keep in mind, this is an example. This is not something that I am condoning, condoning that people do, but uh, bear with me. So imagine you're at the Kentucky Derby horse race, okay? You have an all-access pass to go anywhere, all right? You can go on the grounds, into the stables, into the jockey room, wherever you want to go. So as you're walking around, you come up to a, one of the jockeys, and you start chatting with them because you want to know what it's like to be a jockey and, and ride these, uh, you know, these magnificent horses. So he talks to you for a while, and then all of a sudden he kind of taps you on the arm and he says, I, I need to tell you something. 
So if you're tall enough, you bend over and you listen to the jockey and he tells you the number three horse is going to win. Now, you're, you're obviously surprised because when you, when you look around his back, he's wearing the number five bin, bib. So he's the number five jockey and he's telling you number three is going to win. So you're not sure what to do with this information, but you continue on walking around. You run into another jockey and he tells you, he says, number three is going to win. And this is the number t 10 driver. So now you're, you're really wondering what's going on. And, and they've been telling you that, that the number three jockey is retiring after this race. This is his last horse race ever. And all of the jockeys, other than the number three, have determined that we're going to let him win. We're going to let him retire with the Kentucky Derby win. And, and, and basically, the fix is in. Number three is going to win. It, it's guaranteed. Okay, now you've heard this and you're still naturally skeptical. So, what do you do? Okay, you've heard this from every jockey. So, do you go and do you place a bet on the number 10 horse, right? Because you don't believe them? You kind of believe them, but you can't put all of your faith into their story, even though every story was exactly the same. Do you hedge your bet? Now, I'll save you Googling that statement. It means that you're going to try and minimize your potential loss. Now, in this example, it would mean by betting on a few horses rather than putting everything on the number three horse. Okay, now, if you had $100 to bet on that race, if you're going to hedge your bet, you might bet $50 on number three and 25 on number five and 25 on number 10. Now, sure, you still win a little bit, right? Number three does win the race, but you could have won so much more if you had the faith and put it on number three. So back to Jesus, what Jesus is saying that we need to hear or listen to the words he's been saying and believe in God. Jesus Christ's story is true, and it's always the same. Christ is triumphant. Whoever does this, as we read, has eternal life. The person or the people that do this, they have eternal life now. It's not to come. You receive it, again, immediately. Not eventually, but we have it right now. There's no waiting. Now the question is, how do we show that we believe? Acts 2, 38 and 39, the example here says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. In case you weren't sure, we're the far off. We're the far off in that scripture. So this... This is that first step to accepting the gift of eternal life in the Father. We have to have a belief that leads us to action. A scripture that I've used to try and convince people that it's more than a matter of just believing is in James chapter 2, verse 19. It says, You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So the demons believe that there is one God. 
but their actions aren't leading them to have that life with God for eternity. I guess uh, one of the examples, it's easy, it's easy for us to say that, that the demons would do that, but if we go to Mark chapter 5, verse 6, uh, this to me is, is a pretty good example of, of what that scripture means. It says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Again, I can't think of a scripture that it illustrates the power that Christ has over everything. It would seem to me that this scripture has made it clear on what people must do in order to receive that gift of eternal life. It's not just knowing that there is a God. There is action on our part, an outward action showing others that we believe and are baptized, and a changing or cleansing of our hearts to do the will of God. We can fake our actions and appear to do all the right things, but God knows our heart. Those people that think they can fool God I think Jesus mentions them in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Remember how I said... Uh, at the horse race, you could hedge your bet, right? Minimize that potential loss by betting on a few horses in the race. There's no hedging your bet when it comes to choosing God or not. We have to continue working at putting God first in our lives. This, one, this, this scripture can be a little bit scary too, but it says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is, does not mean that it's a scary afraid like a horror movie um, or an afraid that, that there's a mean God that only wants to punish us uh, because we are so sinful you know, and, and he'd derive pleasure from our suffering. That's absolutely not what this means. This afraid is knowing and understanding the consequences of not listening and following the instructions of our God and Heavenly Father. Now, as a, as a child, I was, again, I was very fortunate to, to have a dad and a mom uh, that cared and loved for me. Um, was I afraid of my dad at times? Yes. Okay. But only when I didn't listen to what he told me. I knew that there would be a punishment for not obeying his word. And that fear helped me decide whether or not I wanted to listen to him or not. Now as I grew up, I realized that the reward for listening was much better than the punishment for not listening. My dad's instruction to me and the rules he put in place, uh, if you want to call them that, were not to hinder me or try and make my life miserable. 
Now, growing up in Portage, he told me that I was not to run into the street, okay? If I was playing in our front yard and the ball or whatever we were playing with ended up out in the street, he always said, stop, look both ways, and then go out, make sure there's no cars coming, then go out and, and pick up whatever had gotten into the street. If I didn't look and ran into the street and mom and dad saw me, yes, there would be a punishment for not listening to, the, to their words. And back then, uh, you could actually spank your kids, okay? Uh, I still believe in that. Uh, Fraser's not in the room right now, but there may come the time when he gets a spanking from me if he's not listening. Russ, just so you know. Um, so, again, back then, then we were able to do that. Um, now, with this example, again, something seriously uh, could happen to me if I ran out into the street and got hit by a car. Uh, Bev always teases me that I, I had it so easy as, as living in the city, right? The, the city slicker, her growing up in the country. But in this example, I think she had it a lot easier than I did. If she was out, you know, playing in the yard or whatever, she's going to run into a cow. Like, <laughs> you know, big, big deal. The, most of the time, they're just standing there eating. So, um, you know, in, in that instance, I, again, I think Bev had a little easier than me. But. But, but back to the point, my mom and dad did not create these rules and then kind of sit and wait and watch, right? C could you imagine them telling me that and then go off hiding behind the house and just, just hoping that I would disobey them? That's, that's not what it's about, and that's not what it's about with our God, okay? They made these rules to try and protect me, especially when they weren't watching, okay? Now, God has done the same thing for man. The Bible, it, it contains the rules that he wants us to follow. If we choose to follow them, we'll be rewarded. If we choose not to follow them, no reward. It's, it, it's pretty simple. And, and Dale said it on Wednesday night. The Bible isn't complicated. So if we're going to follow the Bible, we need to know what the greatest command is. Do we know that answer? And now we're finally at the title of my lesson. Who do you love? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. We can read that in Matthew 22, 37 and 38, Mark 12, 30, Luke 10, 27. This command should not have been new to the Jewish people either. Way back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When I was preparing this lesson, uh, this, this was a surprise to me, the Deuteronomy. And I've kind of like Russ, I've, I've read it before, right? But, but as I was working on this lesson and found, again, these same words were used back in Deuteronomy, uh, the message hasn't, again, hasn't changed. It's always the same. And again, we've talked that only God and Jesus 
can accurately judge all three of these characteristics about our person. Only they can judge our heart, soul, and mind. I missed another one, Russ. My bad. But I'm running out of time, so I won't bother reading verses 25 to 30. But, but in those verses, we're told that Christ will return to judge the earth. Those that have done good, as it says in verse 29, will go on to life with him. And those that have done evil will rise to be condemned. I do like the way the notes in my NIV study Bible explain these verses. It says, as always in scripture, judgment is based on what people have done in their lives. Salvation, of course, is a gift from God in response to faith. But true faith in Christ results in changed lives lived in obedience to Christ as Lord. James 2, verses 20 to 26 says, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now as I was preparing this and, and, and talking with Bev, my problem with doing a lesson is how to wrap it up. Um, just as I think I found a scripture to try and get the point across that I was working on, another one pops out of that reading and, and could help me continue on for, for a long time. Um, I find that comforting on the one hand that I'm still learning more from God's word. Uh, and I, I want to thank the elders for giving me the opportunity to speak uh, here this morning. I will conclude uh, with one more scripture. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. It's my hope and prayer that we all believe the words of the Bible. Don't believe me. I, I'm just a messenger today. Believe the words of the Bible. And we need to show God that we believe him, that we love him with our whole, our whole heart, soul, and mind. Thank you uh, very much for your attention this morning. And just so that you know, the answer to the riddle is one. Thank you.